good morning, everybody. As always, we appreciate you joining us today. You're listening to the ASSP Healthcare Practice Specialties Health Beat podcast, and today we're um, we're recording in um, conjunction with the AOHP, which is the Association for Occupational Health Professionals Caring for Healthcare Professionals podcast. So we've got uh, a lot of great people in the audience, and we're going to get some great information to everybody today. So today we got a, a cool episode coming up. Today we are talking to Morgan Ash, who works with the City of Houston Health Department, and they've been doing a lot of fantastic work with communications, uh, notably uh, award-winning programs about the, the COVID-19 pandemic and a lot of other different really outstanding work, um, but also in a, in a great turn of events. Uh, Morgan is also the safety committee chair over at the health department, and she's done a lot of great work with that 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 she can share and talk about good ways to integrate safety and communications. So we're going to get into that. Um, Morgan, I don't want to speak for you. So if you would, if you can give our listeners just a little bit about yourself, like your um, uh, career, education, uh, current role, any anything you'd like to share, we, we appreciate it. Thank you. All right, thanks, Corey. Good morning, everybody. Yes, my name is Morgan Ash, and I am the um, communication services manager for the Houston Health Department. So I began um, here at the Houston Health Department in the thick of COVID, August 2020. I joined um, the what was a small communications team here doing rolling out all of the public health critical life-saving messages during the pandemic um, and immediately got to work helping this team doing their the social media, doing uh, uh, talking points for the mayor, any ways that we were able to reach uh, the Houstonians and give them the you know scientific accurate information as we knew it at that time to protect themselves and their families. Um, but before before coming here to the health department, I spent several years as the city in the city of Seguin outside of San Antonio. I was the public information officer for the city, and I learned so much about uh, you know, government processes in general and uh, you know kind of the different types of audiences uh, that will be basically your audience as, as far as a government is concerned is everybody in that city. And sometimes even, you know, everybody in that county. Um, and I definitely would think that would be true for the city of Houston who has, is, has such a regional influence. Uh, and then before that, I was actually a television news reporter. I started uh, after, I, I for, when I, I went to the University of Texas at Austin in, for communications and I, Got my first TV job in the city of uh, uh, Abilene, Texas. <laughs> Worked there about a year and a half um, as a reporter and weekend anchor. And then I actually went back and came back to Houston and got my master's degree in mass communications. After that, I went right back into TV and I worked um, in Lufkin, Texas, Shreveport, Louisiana, and finally Wichita, Kansas. I was in Kansas for one year and uh, I you know, was freezing the entire winter as a, as a Texas girl. And I knew then that I was like, I, I basically always knew that when I was done working in TV and wanted a little bit of a more normal life, that I was going to, I wanted to do communications for local governments because I truly believe that um, city and county um, governments affect people's day-to-day -day lives way more than, uh, you know, state and, and national and federal governments. Um, and here, coming here to the health department, has been obviously during a pandemic has been an amazing i mean it, it's been an amazing learning experience and it's also been an out it, you know um unheard of opportunity uh to be uh you know 
be a part of such a large city's health department communications and have been able to do so much in uh, the last two years. And um, and then being asked by uh, Corey to be the, the chair of the, the um, safety committee. Awesome. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely a, a lot of great work in there. And I know that um, <laughs> the the communications field, especially television, is uh, the pretty pretty brutal industry. So that's yeah. fantastic that you've been able Very to excel like that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, it's actually a small world. You know, my first degree um, back in. 1997 to 2002, uh, my, my first bachelor's degree was in communications. Um, and I remember clearly thinking as I got about halfway through that, that um, the television field would, uh, absolutely wasn't for me. So I, I, I applaud you for, for pursuing that and doing so well in it. Oh, thank you. No, it was, I'm lucky that I actually had a dad in the business. He was more on the promotional side of television news, but you know, he never, he was very honest with me in, you know, middle school and high school and college. Like, are you sure you want to go into TV? You're going to have to live in that small market and you're going to make no money ever. Um, but it was just a, a passion of mine. And I'm, I'm honestly really, really proud. Um, the fact that I stuck it out um, at four TV stations, it's something I think you know, most people who go into TV, their first TV station is usually their last. Um, and it just gave me such an awesome wide ranging um, level of experience with so, you know, you have to know a little bit about everything to be a, a good news reporter and every story you learn something. And that's how I take my job here at the health department. There's, uh, it's incredible how many programs and services that we provide the city of Houston. And I get to learn a little bit about all of them um, every day. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's that's really good for safety because, you know, as you know, you know, we work with every different every different department, division, team, all the, all the different operations. And so um, you're already in that mindset where, you know, all the different all the different things that are happening. So you're able to work with that. So that's kind of the next thing I was going to say there. And, and you kind of touched on this already is um, how you got yourself involved in safety. Um, so now that now that you're involved, you know, with the, the safety committee and the different initiatives that we do, what are some of the ways that, that you found that you've been able to integrate communications with safety to not only not only get information out about about how people can be safe, you know, with these different hazards, which are seemingly endless these days, um, but also different things for, you know, morale and promotion and um, recognition and all, uh, special events, you know, all these different things that we do. What are, what are some ways you've found to do that? Well, when I took this job with the health department, um, I, you know, was never, I never said no to anything as people would reach out to me to try to talk about what, uh, you know, their, their specialty was, whether it's something to do with smoking cessation or asthma or, you know, COVID-19. Um, I was always wanting to hear and see how I could be a service. And uh, pretty early on, uh, Corey, you and I kind of uh, connected and I was a definitely um, want, believed pretty much from the start, although I didn't have much safety experience, no, knew that especially during a pandemic, uh, it was something we had to keep, um, keep on the forefront of our messaging, especially internally at, uh, for the employees of the Houston Health Department. And coming from kind of a, um, not a safety background, I felt really helped me and um, ask the right questions. 
understand what may be going over some people's heads when it comes to the technical side of, of, of safety prevention. Um, and I was able to really, and as and as a, an experience of talking to, you know, all kinds of people through my, you know, storytelling and my public health, health messaging, I was able to kind of rewrite the safety messages in a much more, you know, um, layman's terms where it was a little more understandable a little more usable a little more digestible to the people who are who are like me and it's not safety wasn't something that they had been studying their whole life or even just a little bit and i wanted it um and kind of i guess the really the beginning of that was with safety month um last almost a year ago uh you i worked with you corey on creating some more um engaging type um activities and we did uh, some safety trivia every week during that month we did uh, some uh, like word searches i think and you know but that was just the beginning um that would just kind of give me a good background of 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 the importance of safety as part of our internal culture and uh, after that i was able to continue to work with you i slowly but i eventually became a member of the safety committee and took that opportunity as the communications representative to um, be more directly involved with what was going on in the health department on the safety on the safety um, the safety situation, and then being able to more directly figure out ways of getting those messages out there, and also coming up with ideas on how to um, to reach all the different people that work for the health department. Uh, and the biggest challenge continues to be that. We have, I think, what, 34, 35 different facilities that make up the health department. So it's the biggest challenge is reaching each of those people and all these different um, who are working in all these different locations and uh, getting their attention. And when I was um, uh, earlier this year was tasked with a, you know, a new uh, safety campaign that was was going to be rolling out citywide across the city of Houston. And you told me that the Houston Health Department was going to be one of the first departments to kind of almost be like a test a test, uh, test market for getting um, the ZIP training courses out there. Um, they were, you know, mandatory. There were six mandatory courses. They were in everybody's, you know, what we call the, our talent management system where we have all of our trainings. But, you know, unless most of us, unless someone tells us to do it, we're not just going to go and take safety training. <laughs> and so we, um, you know, I, I kind of had looked at what I had worked on some other internal campaigns and uh, felt like some of that could definitely trans transmit. But, you know, I, I, we just, um, I went at it as it, uh, we are at the Houston Health Department want to keep each other safe, want to keep each other uh, and if we want to keep each other safe, they, um, then we have to be always on the lookout for potential hazards. And this this basic, easy training um, that you have now in your talent management system is going to, um, you know, it's going to give you a good basics on on what to be looking for, no matter what you do um, for the health department. And uh, you know, telling people, hey, it may be mandatory, but it's also very helpful. And you wouldn't, um, and so we, we, we basically put uh, posters up. We had, uh, we had tri weekly trivia. I did a, a special, special edition employee newsletter during the, the um, six, week, six week campaign. 
Uh, we And we focused each week of that campaign on a different course. And although many people just went ahead and took them all at once because they got a shirt, uh, so, uh, there was others that were you know, following along and taking that course and participating in that trivia. And to kind of make it a little more creative, we even had a, a meme contest. So we had people submit memes, like trendy memes, uh, based on that week's course. So we had um, we had <laughs> custom memes on um, different things like slip trips and falls, which were kind of hilarious, and uh, bloodborne pathogens, and you know e each of the things. And it was just a really cool way to get people thinking about these safety topics in in a more uh, modern way. And you know they had to they had to like think about what what was that training about and how can we uh, you know, how could they make a, a funny meme out of it? Uh, and then they, the winners of that each week, um, we put their their winning memes on a t-shirt. So they got to, you know, kind of be, I called them our, my meme artists. And so that's just a few of the ways that I've felt that we've been very successful at shining a more user-friendly, more approachable uh a way to, to a, a stronger safety culture at the health department. You know, we do uh, spotlight people every, um, about, about, I think twice a month. Uh, we get nominations from across the department on employees that are, you know, I say live in the safety lifestyle. And then we take their picture and we put them in employee publications. And we, it, it really, I think shows, it's kind of like that good role modeling. You know, we are, you know, praising the people who are, doing the work and that is uh you know recognizing safety issues talking about safety issues and and being a good safety role model within their area of the department that's awesome yeah it's always good to have the the communications because it, it provides that you know that consistency and and the the recurring nature of it so people are even if they're not hearing about a major event, you know, like um, National Safety Month or mm -hmm. or a particular initiative, they're, they're still constantly hearing it through bulletins and um, media boards and newsletters and all those different things. So that, that's and great. You, and and then you mentioned the, that, you know, we, you and I've worked, um, there's always, there's always safety collateral out there. But I quickly um, saw that it was if if I didn't feel like I wanted to, to read all of the fine print on this, that most people probably were like me. And I but but I as a you know coming from a um, mass communications background, I know that it's you know it just it takes a little extra time. But dissecting that what what is so you know figuring out what is this brochure what is this flyer supposed to be doing? What is the main point what is the, the the main actions that this this flyer is is directing people to do so for instance like even with we, we I think we have a flyer for you know severe weather and what to do during a you know a severe weather event which in Houston is pretty common and taking that and number one making it visually appealing through our um, help of with our, our, our staff graphic designer so it's more eye-catching uh, and colorful, and you immediately know before you read it what is this going to be about because of the of the uh, the artwork, and then you know very I very um, carefully and strategically tease out those main highlights from that whatever that safety message is, um, and and 
make that the focus of that flyer. So instead of just a, you know, a Word document saying this is what to do, um, they have something, number one, that's easily printable and they can stick it up on their uh, break rooms bulletin board, but that they also get the, they don't have to, um, it does, only takes a little bit for them to get the main um, messaging and the main, uh, you know, um, drive the, uh, dr you know, action that they need to take during that situation. And the more engaging it is, and the more eye-catching it is, the more people will keep that, you know, once they look at it, it's it's in their back of their mind for whenever, if ever, those situations come about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. We've. I, I, we've always appreciated how you all have done that because I know that, you know, on the safety side, we we tend to we tend to veer toward, you know, we need to we need to cover everything or somebody's going to miss something, you know. And so I'll 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 write these, you know, really comprehensive <laughs> bullets. And and to your point, you know, there most people if they go into the break room to get some out of the refrigerator, you know, they're they're not going to stop and read an essay written on the wall. Um, but but if you have it in these very direct you know definitive bullet points with with some you know quality graphics and um, you know color coding or or whatnot then it's much more likely they'll look at it and go oh that that makes sense you know I should remember that um, and then if they hear and it I later I would recommend anybody that is trying to you know build their their safety culture within their workplace is the first thing is take a look at the collateral that you've been using. And I'm going to tell you, in my experience, sometimes business, uh, you know, organizations have been using the same uh, flyer on something for years. So number one, is it still accurate? <laughs> number two, um, how long, you know, what, what, it, um, what was the last time you took a look at it? Gather up what, what, what you believe are those important safety messages at wherever you work and take some time and make them uh, and, re and recreate them, brand them with your, you know, organization's logo, make them colorful. Um, and then, and then take a look at how you could make maybe some of the more technical information into something a lot more manageable and usable by the regular uh, person walking by. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting. I like how you say that to check for the accuracy, you know, especially nowadays in the last couple of years, we found that that's really important. We did some some facility visits and one of the facilities, they, they didn't do anything like malicious or anything. They, mm -hmm. they just didn't, didn't think about it. They still had flyers up at the front entry that said, um, you know, we're, we're concerned about the COVID-19 virus. And it said, if you've been to any of these locations, please let us know. And it, it only had on their um, China because wow. the flyer was from the first month when the main the main risk was people traveling to China. And, and we all uh, know back then we didn't really know any the real ways of how to protect yourself from from the you know what what became, became known as a very you know airborne uh, mm -hmm. virus. Uh, and and it really didn't matter you know at, at you know now at this point has no it doesn't matter where you are uh, COVID is yep. a situation. But I mean, and that's a, a recent example. And I and I and I'm sure you have walked also into facilities and they have had that same, you know, I, I know for instance here where I work, there are break rooms with flyers that I can tell you if I took them off that that um bulletin board, it would be like a different color. Like they've been there so long. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We we saw that just the other day, as a matter of fact. Um 
you know, the city, of course, these buildings have been here a long time. And one of the buildings we went in, uh, it was a different department, but um, they had a, um, you know, they have the, the minimum wage posters that are required by uh -huh. law. And it said on there, minimum wage and employees must be paid at least four twenty-five an hour. And we thought, I know that's at least the nineties because I got four twenty-five <laughs> when I was in high school, yes. you know, in like ninety-six. And that's what I'm talking uh, about. Yeah. yeah. And another thing is that we we on on top of that, you know, just that you know accuracy. I mean, things have changed so much even in the past two years with with COVID nineteen. But there's a lot of technology that had um, you know safety technologies that have been engineered to prevent mm -hmm. and help uh, uh, protect people that you know may have made your 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 organization may not have had or may not even have been invented when some of your this um, you know communication collateral was created and don't be afraid to step up and say you know if it's it you know this old messaging and this boring messaging is kind of the shows how much we obviously are are taking how much we prioritize these these important messages in our in our organization and just by stepping up and saying hey let's it won't take us long to revamp this stuff it shows that you're taking safety seriously um and wanting to keep your coworkers and yourself safe yeah absolutely yeah that's definitely true you know there's always um changes you know in whether it be procedures or equipment or, or mm -hmm. PPE requirements or, or even new hazards you know that um, that didn't didn't exist in the past um, and then there's those things that are constantly changing um, so always important um, but I like how you brought that up that kind of takes us into a another area is um you talked about the engineering which you know of course as you know is part of the hierarchy of controls um, and that's something you know we go through each month with the safety committee is the different hazards and the different ways that we're controlling those hazards and threats and then we get into how we're communicating those expectations and then how we're validating those expectations are being met um if you would if you could um talk a little bit about the safety committee like what goes on there uh, who's involved um what what comes out of it what what are your thoughts about the safety committee all right. Well, ideally, we I think the, the vision is to have a representative committee member from number one, every facility that we have in the department, but but even maybe every, you know, division um, program service area of the department, because every single like I mentioned earlier, the health department covers everything <laughs> from, you know, uh, inspecting, you know, food inspectors to Mo uh, air quality uh, testers to WIC providers and obviously the the uh, you know health centers. So we'd like to have as many different um, pro uh, areas represented on the safety committee because each person has a different perspective on what is an actual uh, hazard or threat uh, to them. Because number one, they they they're working in different places. Number two, they're encountering different hazards. Uh, you know. Nurses and doctors, they're they have the 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 bloodborne pathogens, the vi the vi the air particles. Then you've got people who are, you know, out in the field, and you know that's an endless threat. Even in the car, people who are driving to the different locations to to, to do community outreach. Every time they step in the car, 
there is a huge um, uh, safety factor there. Uh, and so we try to get as many um, areas represented on that committee. And then we, um, number one, kind of ask them all, uh, has they, have they seen, heard, experienced any new issues or, or threats? And then we kind of um, dissect that and try to figure out ways that we could reduce that, uh, that, that threat um, or, uh, or prevent it altogether. Um, and then uh, we were able to kind of compile all of that. And we actually, Euphoria, are working on a, a very lengthy document with pretty much every hazard that we, you, we have experienced or um, maybe caught um, against the health department and, and then have those answers for um, lowering that risk at a, at a, you know, by just by clicking on that document. Uh, and so, and one of the things we also talk, look at is, you know, how many incidents have there been each month? How many um, incidents were, uh, you know, affected someone's ability to go to work? Um, how many incidents were created a workers' comp situation? And then that really makes it easy to sell safety culture to your organization because now you're talking about people who can't go to work and are going to cost money because they, you know, were not maybe didn't have all the, the safety precautions in place. Uh, the other thing, you know, that I really, really like to do and that has been helpful for me is that monthly repetition of those safety terms and being, you know, the longer you have these committee members on these meetings, the more they can start seeing, seeing when trends start developing because they're, they're, they're in it, um, they've been watching those numbers along with you. And one thing that really stood out in one of my early, you know, teaching sessions with, with you, Corey, was talking about the number of near misses, people who are reporting things that they saw before it uh, became an actual, an actual incident. And, you know, you were like, you know, a lot of times it's the more near miss reports, the less actual incidents happen because we prevented that by someone reporting something that could have happened. And, you know, sure enough, every month that I've been the chair of the safety committee, I, I actually, that's one of the first stats I look at and it's been completely true. And even recently I had my first near miss report when I walked out of my office, there was a guy standing on a, uh, standing next to a, a, a ladder. And I literally, my door hit that ladder. And if that person had been on the ladder, like they had been moments before, I could have hurt that person. Um, and so that gave us, um, so I'm like, hey, nothing happened, but it could have. And we were able to put some um, updated, um, you know, uh, messaging on, on ladder safety uh, right then to everybody. If, you know, if you're on a ladder and you work with the health department, here are the things you need to make sure of. And that is don't put your ladder behind a door that opens into you. Uh, because that I would have felt horrible if I had hurt that person. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, those, those leading indicators, that that's a, such an important thing. And, you know, it's, it's always interesting to me because I've, I've been, uh, I don't remember how many places in the last 18 <laughs> years, but um, there's, there's a strikingly uh, disturbing amount of places I've been where there were no leading indicators being monitored. You know, it was all about, okay, well, we, we put the, whatever the control is, you know, we put it in place, whether it's a procedure or a piece of equipment or PPE, and then we 
hopefully train people on what that expectation is. You know, in some cases that wasn't the case, which was another disturbing thing. And then it would just be um, business as usual. And then at the end of the month, they would convene at the safety committee and they would say, okay, well, here's the incident <laughs> reports and let's look at these. And they would say, okay, so this one happened. So we're going to, we're going to change this or we're going to retrain this person or in some cases it was you know we're going to write this person up which is a real bummer because you know that doesn't go very far um but it was never a matter of okay well how many observations did we do during the month to see if people were actually meeting the expectations you know following that procedure or using that equipment or using that pp um I think that's very telling you know if you're doing the observations you can see if if it's happening in real time if you do the inspections you can see if the if the facility is as it should be you know if they, if they have the equipment and inventory if if the the floors aren't wet and slippery you know all these yes. different things that we can look for so between the inspections and the observations and then like you said the near miss reports which give us those red flags a lot of things can be can be resolved before it turns into an incident report um I, I hate to always talk about the COVID-19 pandemic just because at this point people are, you know, it's it like COVID-19 is not, not something people want to talk about, but uh, it, it's one of the things, you know, those first couple of weeks we were doing COVID-19 testing, we, we had near miss report after near miss report. And that's not to say it was a bad thing, like people were doing anything wrong. It was, it's a learning curve, you know, and so as people. It was were, opportunities to teach. Yes, yeah, it, 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 so for example, you know, when we, we finish at the end of the day and everybody's going to go home, somebody starts walking to their car through the hot area. You know, for them, it just looks like a tent. They're going to want to walk through the tent. It's faster. But we have to, you know, stop and gently explain, well, now we've been doing testing in that tent all day. So there's a pretty significant chance there's still a bunch of infectious droplets floating around in there. So you probably don't want to walk through there unless you're wearing a respirator, which you're probably not if you're going home. Um, right. So things like that. You know, th those are each near misses and we're able to stop those and then we're able to make sure that if we need to have, like, for example, in that case, you know, we were able to put signage, you know, uh, here's the way to walk if you're leaving for the day, you know, don't walk through the hot area. Um, and so we can make those make those interventions where necessary. But but if we didn't have the observations or the or the near miss reporting, you know, it, it very well could have been that person got sick and then it would be mm -hmm. a. COVID-19 case and then would have to investigate and figure out where that happened and and in this case of course it would go to epidemiology and it would go from there so uh, it's it's certainly important and um, and like you said you know that extends to everybody involved in the committee and so um, the fact that you're already knowledgeable and already talking to everybody with the communication side is 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 fantastic um, that's really the first thing I would always um, recommend to any organization is you know if the if the safety pro doesn't already know the the communications pro it's you know it's time to go knock on their door and yes, make that introduce you know? because we have the platforms um on you know at our fingertips and we also have that you know the background of of being able to ask maybe the right questions to uh, to get to the, the the what is the main point of whatever is going on and and that way you if with that relationship not only are you doing talking about the things that have maybe happened in the past or those always those ongoing refresher uh, safety messages, but that when something is a becomes a actual situation, 
the communications person, such as myself, have an idea, can under, first of all, understand uh, the level of, uh, of priority that should take, and we'll be able to, you know, we would be easily be able to um, figure out the best way of, of getting that information out there. Uh, you know, relationships, um, it's, you know, hey, I think everybody should have a good relationship with their, their organization's um, communication person, because we can be um, a definite um, uh, game changer when it comes to even thinking about things that maybe you haven't and uh, figuring out and creative ways of getting out um, what, what are you know sometimes mundane safety messages out there and and and, and repackaging them in a more um, uh, eye-catching, engaging way. Um, and, and kind of going back, Corey, to you know the reason why I really think that when people are creating safety committees, number one, having a safety committee shows that 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 workplace values and prioritizes safety and the safety culture. And then by making sure in an ideal world that you have representation from all facets of that organization, you can at least, there's actually a chance that those representatives are going back to their teams and giving them that those that, that updated um, guidance and advice and, and, and messages. So then you have this person that you work with day in, day out going, hey, I think we talked about that at safety. You need to be wearing, um, you know, uh, you need to get fit tested for a respirator before you wear it. Um, and so they, and then some people, you know, take that message from their coworker a lot more seriously um, and a lot more personally than maybe any other way. So it's those, those people on that committee become a billboard uh, for that, um, for safety. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it makes it, you know, exponential is it not only becomes personalized and, and team specific, but it gets out to that many more people. And um, yeah, to your point, you know, it's one of those things. If 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 people are only hearing about safety, you know, from one person once a month, you know, they're thinking subconsciously, and I say this because this is how I kind of felt the first year I was in the Air Force, um, is that, you know, if you're only hearing about safety when something bad happened. Yes. And so in, in your mind, you think, well, I didn't hear about safety for a while, so I guess we're all good. But in actuality, there's there's near misses every day, you know, or there's, mm -hmm. there's uh, potentially unsafe operations or potentially unsafe uh, facilities or conditions. So, um, yeah, if we, if we, are able to get everybody in that mindset of of that cycle. You know, we want to look look for hazards and threats. If we don't know the procedure or the the hazard control, then we want to make sure we ask and and report it. We want to have that consistent communication, have those consistent validation with leading indicators, and then then we can monitor for the lagging indicators and the incidents, and then figure out what went wrong. But but if we do the the preventative side of it, then ideally those incidents and the necessary incident analyses will be much smaller it, you know it's, it's way better to have to look into you know a very small amount of incidents rather than wait to the end of the month and go well we need to figure out how these you know large amount of people got hurt last month you know and that's um, the thing is the numbers on that sheet are people um, yep. And not and, and taking away even the financial uh, uh, the expense uh, of of dealing with people who are injured and can't work, um, the uh, the those are people that you work with that um, possibly could have um, been preventing. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was one thing I, um, not here, this is in the past, I, I won't say which organization, but um, same, same had that same kind of conversation once where somebody told me that they weren't concerned about the situation because number one, they said it wasn't enough incidents for them to be worried about. And they said, number two, the incidents weren't severe enough for them to worry about. And so I said, okay, so what you're saying is you're not going to think about safety until there's a lot of people that got hurt or sick. <laughs> right. And it, and it, and they're either, and this is going to sound callous, I don't mean it to, but until they're either dead or they're in the hospital or it costs you a lot of money, yes. then you're going to, then you're going to turn your head and ask what happened. I said, that's way too late. I was like, there's, there's no reason for that. You know, I said, and at and that point, not, it's really going to be a much bigger task to stop it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cause you think, I mean, how far has the culture, you know, descended at that point for those things to happen? You know, because there's a lot of unsafe things that have to happen before something catastrophic goes on. Um, you know, of course, there's always going to be things that are um, unpredictable. It's just, just life. But um, scientifically, you know, there, there's, there's usually a precedent to these things that, that can be identified. Um, mm -hmm. So that that's great that um, that y'all look and at all that. And the more we, we make the uh, safety messaging a part of the everyday, you know, uh, discussion uh, in that organization, the more people are just, um, you know, going to be, you know, keeping it in their, their frame of reference and with whatever they do. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's the whole the end game of the the culture is that we want to get to where anytime anybody does anything the first thing they do is look okay there are any hazards or threats here if so do i know what to do about it and then i'm going to proceed um yeah that's um it's like a lot of questions we get about you know with workplace violence or or workplace violence is you know even worse cousin active shooter you know is that um there's always going to be people that think those things are, you know, unpredictable, unpreventable, just, you know, bad luck, wrong place, wrong time. But in, in reality, you know, if we're looking, okay, what well, did somebody um, raise their voice? Did somebody start using a lot of profanity? Did somebody make threat, verbal threats? Did somebody start getting in somebody's personal space? Did somebody push and shove? Or did somebody have a weapon that wasn't supposed to have a weapon, you know, or even worse, were they handling that weapon, you know? All those things so many opportunities right yeah those things can all be caught um there's Before always something a happens. <laughs> yeah absolutely there, there's always the chance that somebody will just walk in and, and start shooting god forbid we pray that never happens again but um but yeah in a lot of cases you know there's there's an escalation that happens before it turns violent um so if those things are if people know to monitor for those things and they know that and that's another thing with culture. Um, I know we've talked about in the past is it, people have to know that it's okay, it, it's acceptable, and it's encouraged for people to voice those concerns. And make it easy for them. <laughs> yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, make it a convenient way to to report um, anything that they could they consider um, a potential hazard, and and make sure that they know that it's safe. Like uh, that they won't if it's nothing's wrong that we, you wouldn't you would just going to be appreciated for coming forward. So make sure you know everyone in, the, in your uh, area you know your organization knows how to report 
um, these these potential incidents or these these uh, 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 you know near misses um, because they, everyone can be um, an a safety inspector in an organization. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, the the first time that somebody goes to report a concern and gets told that they're being paranoid or they're being overly cautious. They're never going to come forward again. That's right. They're, they're done. They'll say, OK, well, you fool me once. I'm not going to get in trouble for this. Um, and then before you know it, that 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 person could have been the one that saw something that that turned bad. Um, right. So, yeah, absolutely. And it's got to be a safe, easy uh, uh, process for reporting, uh, you know, potential issues. Yep. Yeah. And to to kind of go full circle with it again, to your point, that's that's good information to collaborate with communications and put that on the wall and put that in the in the newsletter and put that in the the live stream. You know, all, all different kinds of stuff. Yeah. And you know, I I really want to add something about um you know recognizing the people who are you know living the you know living and breathing safety at the workplace um as something that not only makes that you know the that employee feel good about what they're doing but it again it rate it creates that person becomes a, a role model of how to be and it shows other employees who may not consider safety to be a top priority it uh, it reminds them that oh it must be it, it's it's building that as a culture across the department and, that, and people start seeing the how much we value or the organization values safety and any way you can um, find uh, uh, for instance we just um, we have a safety spotlight you know we mentioned earlier and I kept thinking of ways you know what would what would we had some slow uh, the numbers of nominations were slowing down. And I took a thought, why would that be? Um, and I thought, you know, it's we tell people to email us their nominations, but maybe they don't want to do that. Maybe they just want to click a link and submit it, uh, submit something on a form. And so I uh, made a, a, a fillable form and created a link and created a, a QR code that we could put on things. So to make it literally as simple as clicking a link, using the QR code, filling in someone's name, where, what they do and why you think they should they uh, deserve a safety spotlight award uh, and, and uh, I, a couple of days after I started promoting that we had uh, I think almost as many nominations as we had all year <laughs> so yes. making things easy making things convenient um, just because something has been done one way forever do not ever make you know I tell my team this all the time especially if you work in a kind of a government situation just because something's been done that way for a hundred years does not mean by any measure that we have to do it that way. When um, so much has changed in our work environments, everything's on the internet, everything, um, you know, there's, uh, you know, we got, you got to make things easier for people. And uh, it doesn't, it oftentimes isn't, a, isn't a very timely or, you know, high resource solution. Um, but the easier you make things, the more, um, and the, uh, you make things for people, the more, more they will uh, take the bait. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I like how you brought that up because your, your safety spotlight um, uh, solution is, is excellent because that's got us definitely a lot more nominees. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's incredible past. how one, one thought 
changed, you know, for some reason it, it was easier for people to click a form than it was for them to send an email. I don't really, doesn't make sense, but maybe it was those prompts that they didn't have to th look back and go, oh, what kind of information do they need? It was right there in that form and all they had to do was fill it out. Uh, whatever, it works and um, we're gonna we're gonna keep using it. <laughs> Definitely, yeah, and we'll, we're, we'll also, we're gonna find a way to, to digitize our leading indicators also, because I feel like that'll be great if people can pull them up on a, on a on a device instead of mm -hmm. having to print a piece of paper and fill it out and then send it back in it's you know for a lot of people they're they're moving quickly you know so yes. if we can get that information turned around that that'd be awesome um yeah sometimes people's only you know technology is out in the, who are out in the field is their their um ipad or their cell phone and it's not easy to to print something out. Uh, I mean that 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 takes extra steps. So finding yeah, finding those 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 little ways to make uh, safety easier, more convenient, um, also shows that you're you're taking steps to make it a bigger priority. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, those that's that's all fantastic. Um, heck, um, I know that you're you're very busy. So I, I don't want to take up your whole day. I know we're we're coming up on an hour. Um, talked about a lot of a lot of great stuff there safety committees uh, communications initiatives a lot of different different uh programs and and processes that that you've been able to work out um is there is there anything else that you'd like to like to add today before we finish up you know just i think people um who especially those who have been in the the, the safety business for a long time just need to remember like kind of put themselves in the uh their employee the other employees shoes and think about what would make something, um, what would make a safety safety matter to them, uh, and, uh, and and that's really the first um, the first step in being to better able to communicate uh, safety across your organization. Um, but Corey, thank you so much for having me. As I mentioned earlier, this was my first podcast. I've been on TV a lot, but this was a, a first for me, and I really appreciate you having me. Wait, wait. Appreciate you being here. So, like we were talking about earlier, you know, offline, it's always, it's always great to, to hear about different um, initiatives and and programs and perspectives and different different things that are happening. Um, if if you know, it gets people uh, different ideas, maybe a different way of thinking about things, different experiences, case, case studies, so to speak. Um, so it, that's awesome. We we appreciate your time definitely. Um, for everybody listening, if you haven't already heard it, uh, please check out our podcast. We're, we're at anchor.fm slash ASSP dash HCPS dash HealthBeat. That's the ASSP HealthBeat podcast. And then AOHP is at anchor.fm backslash AOHP. And in both cases, there are fantastic episodes with great people talking about great topics and all kinds of best practices and different things going on there. So, we hope you can check that out. Um, otherwise, we've got a lot of great things coming up with different webinars. And then, of course, the national conferences. Um, ASSP is coming up in about a month and a half in Chicago. And then AOHP is going to be in September in Austin, Texas, right up the road. So we hope we can see you there. Um, and the last thing I was going to say, because the notification actually just came out so I can say it is that our own James Bell with the Houston Health Department 
who works over with our um, human services program. He was awarded the City of Houston Bravo Award, which is the highest public service recognition in the city of Houston. So big congratulations to James. But with that being said, we're going to wrap it up and we'll talk to everybody real soon.